and welcome to Golazzo. I'm James Horncastle sitting in the big chair for AC Chimbo. It's a different type of show this week for all the City and news and the word on what the Italian press is saying about Juve's draw with Spurs. Tune in to tomorrow's Totally Football Show because today we're focusing on one man and his time at one club. man is Diego Armando Maradona and that club is Napoli where Maradona spent seven years in the mid-80s winning two historic Scudetti before leaving under a cloud of dust, money troubles and all sorts of other controversies. Sounds like the stuff of the movies, right? Well, we've got just the person to talk about it. Asif Kapadia won a BAFTA for his documentary on Earth and Senna and an Oscar for his documentary about Amy Winehouse. He's currently putting together the finishing touches to his next film, El Diego. So, Asif, thank you for coming in and taking some time out from the post-production of what this uh, latest documentary project. What has your experience of Naples been like just going there, researching this, uh, this documentary? I, I've been to Italy many times, been all over Italy, but Naples was one of the places I never got to. Got as close as Pompeii, but there was always this kind of feeling of, oh, Naples, I've heard about Naples, and I wasn't sure about it, and I was like, I could go there at the right time. And one of the, one of the wonders and the joys of doing what I do, making films, is it kind of motivates me to go to places that are really amazing and fascinating, but there's a reason to be there. You have to go there to understand the city. I really think it's one of those places, I, you can say it about a lot of places, but particularly Naples. Once you go there, you get a vibe of the love, for example, for Diego, the intense passion and love for the team. The team's back in a really good place right now, mm. which, which is the other thing which is really nice to see. But also kind of a lot of the themes, I guess, of the story of Naples in kind of comparison to the North and the issues they have with teams from the North and how the North looks down perhaps on Neapolitans and Naples. All of that, once you're there, you feel it. Mm. And I think that helps tell the story. Maradona, from my experience of that time, is almost like a demagogue. Um, he comes, He comes there... And one of the first things he says is, I want to be the idol of the urchins, the downtrodden, and speak up for them. Um, presenting himself really as this, this everyman, an ordinary guy with extraordinary talent who used that as a platform to speak up, speak up for them. Diego likes to have someone to fight against. He likes to have someone to kind of motivate him, Broca, or kind of make him angry. Mm. And so um, going to, to Naples, I think... I mean, the, the, the interesting is when you talk to him and you listen to interviews from him from the time, I don't know how much he knew about Naples. <laughs> really. Yeah. How much did he genuinely know about this place and this team, which had just missed out on relegation mm. when he arrived? I mean, it's like 84. Messi going to West Brom. You know, yeah, exactly. It's, it's a, literally a team that's nearly been relegated, who has hardly ever won anything, a couple of cups in their history. And he's like the biggest um, transfer, second biggest transfer of all time, he being the first, going mm. to Barcelona. So to go from Barcelona to Naples at the time was just crazy. Mm. But he was going to Italy where like everyone who's anyone was playing. So, so for him, it was like it gave him another motivation to say, I'm going to take this team and I'm going to win. Which, you know, everyone kind of bought into the dream. And then the thing about him is he could do it. Mm. And he did it in a very special way because his aura and his vibe and his energy such that he is brilliant but he also raises the game for the teammates he's not a selfish player everyone that you've ever spoken to me anyone that talks about it, all his teammates love him because he made everyone else play better 
and and it's really interesting that that this guy obviously has a, thinks a lot of himself can do it on a pitch but also improves players that are nowhere near his standard mm. and yeah it's quite interesting what what you talk about in Senna that that kind of magical realism about him you get that in Naples as well it's I tend to think it's the most South American of European cities and Maradona it's it's like home from home for him Absolutely. I think I think he settles in there. So so what we've been doing with the film is kind of trying to research his life. This is how we work. So we spend a lot of time kind of it's about Naples is the centerpiece. It's really the seven years there, everything amazing happens, the highs and the lows, the way he comes in with, you know, depending on who you ask, how many people are in that stadium. Is it eighty thousand? Is it a hundred thousand? Is it you know, who knows how many? And then the way he left and it kind of ended pretty badly. But in the middle of that, you know, he wins Scudetto, he wins Cups, he wins the UEFA Cup, he wins a World Cup. It's an amazing kind of period. But to kind of understand him, I always like to kind of go back. So we do look in in our research, we've gone back to Argentina, to Argentinos Juniors, to Boca, and particularly he's not very good at kind of experience of being in Barcelona, Mm. you know, and I think how Barcelona, the experience goes there and how, you know, he has his ankle broken, he has a lot of issues, a lot of challenges and kind of leaves having not really succeeded is why Naples becomes even more important for him to succeed. Mm. Because I think he felt he was looked down upon and wasn't treated particularly well there. He didn't have a great time there. He was like the South American in Barcelona was Mm. not, they would slightly look down their nose at him, it seemed goes to Naples they love him for who he is and mm. he feels he's one of those guys he is the street urchin exactly he's the guy who's come from nothing literally a shanty town and now is the world's greatest player and this is the time and the place to prove it the club itself at the time we mentioned where it was in the table but it was also in a hell of a lot of debt and um, yeah this is to some extent a South American story it's a quintessentially Italian story in that time you have the president Corrado Fellaino who you know, in order to get this deal done, basically has to go cap in hand to, you know, the bigwig politician at the time, the mayor of Naples, because you know, he could open up the doors to the banks to get them the money to do this deal. Just to see how I sort of intertwine this story. It's not just a football story by any means. It's about a poor city with a poor club taking on a, what is, you know, sort of a, a very poor, you know, guy who, who grew up in a poor surroundings and him becoming not, not just the captain of Napoli, but the captain of a city and a region. You know, as a filmmaker, if you're lucky, you find a character, you find a story, you just think, well, you couldn't make this up. Every character has a story, you know, so you just list some of the people, you know, you have Felino, you have Diego, then you have kind of the friends that he makes who live locally. <laughs> and then you look at, well, who comes in to become the general manager and who's there, you know, and all of these people are iconic figures. Now, you, you know Italian football much better than I would, but just even I, as someone slightly outside who watched Football Italia and who used to watch the games, you go, oh my God, so the person who comes along after they win their first title is Moji. Yep. You know, all of these characters, they're unbelievable they're all there at the same time and then you look at well who's playing you know at Juve at the time and who's playing for Udinese you've got Zico you know what I love is when you get this archive footage seeing these players so Zico pops up and then you'll have you know Platini is there and then a few years later you're going to have Van Basten and you have Hullet in their prime Rijkaard you've got uh, Mateus, yeah, Falcao at Cl- Roma. Falcao, you've got Klinsmann, you know, mm. and th- the players are unbelievable. Ian Rush pops up. <laughs> you know, it's an well, amazing time. Yeah, it's in, an amazing in the same time. summer, I think that was when Samp signed Graham Souness from Liverpool. Milan signed Ray Wilkins. Everyone uh, wanted to be in Italy 
um, at, the, at that time. And um, I mean, the story, we, we touched upon the story about how that signing happened in terms of the, how they got the money together. But um, just down the road from uh, Napoli's Avellino, and the sporting director of, of, of that club at the time, a guy called Pier Paolo Marino, who would later go on and work at Napoli, he was organising a friendly between a uh, combined 11 of Avellino and, and Napoli to play against Barcelona in order to raise money for the relief effort because there had been an earthquake in the region at the time. Again, which kind of touches on you know, how poor a campagna was then. And the intermediary, an Argentine guy, says, um, yeah, Marino, you do know that Maradona's not coming, don't you? And he's like, what do you mean he's not coming? You know, I'll, I'll pay him a personal appearance fee. He said, not about money. He's in conflict with Barcelona. He can't come. So Marino thinks, I'll, well, I'll use this information to my advantage. Calls up Juventus, says, Maradona's probably going to be available. Are you interested? And they're like, well, we've got Platini. And he calls up uh, Samp and they're like, well, we've got Mancini, we've got Viali. And calls up uh, Fiorentina, like, we're in Brazil. Stop bothering us. We've got Socrates. That's when he thinks, I'll ring Napoli. And that, again, just showcases the the depth of talent that um, City I had at the time and just what Maradona was up against yeah. when it came to winning something with that team. But also I think his stock was down after Barcelona. Mm. That was the other thing. So people like, we've already got these great players and we're not quite sure. He didn't prove it. He was yeah. the world's most expensive player. He comes over from South America and for whatever reason, you know, there was a reputation slightly growing already yeah. of maybe not training as hard as he needed to or whenever. Who knows? There were certain things going on. And he had a lot of bad luck. Mm. He got ill. He had a leg break, hepatitis. Loads of stuff went wrong. He moved training to the afternoon so he could sleep off the night before. Which I think Menotti was the manager then <laughs> yeah. as well. And I think he quite liked training in the afternoon as well. Yeah. But... Um uh, I remember when Felaino goes to um, to do the deal in Barcelona, it's in one of the hotels that was owned by the Barcelona president at the time, and he's really pleased with himself. So he goes down to the hotel bar, grabs a whiskey, and uh, the guy behind the bar is the Neapolitan. And uh, he kind of says, oh, what have you done? You know, Maradona's this fat layabout. He does nothing. And at that moment, Felaino is like, oh, God, have I got this wrong? This kind of moment of self-doubt really creeps in. Instead... You know, it turns out that it's uh, the signing of the century, you know, because, you know, you look at uh, Napoli now, they are doing well, they are top of the table, they might win the league for the first time since 1990. But the fact no one has done that since Maradona only elevates him, well, at the moment, to beyond anyone else. I think the other thing that's really interesting about Naples and it's it's that one-team city. Mm. So everyone, everyone... You know, the person in the bakery, the taxi driver, the judges, the policemen, everyone, no matter what kind of layer of society you're at, they all follow the team. They all love that team. And there is so there is no rivalry apart from the north and the yeah. rest of the country. Um, and so that elevates a hero to another layer. And when if you, if you win and if you kind of make promises and follow through on them, you do become a saint. You become a god. You become something greater, mm. um, which is what, you know, Diego was able to do to, to kind of have him in his prime years. You know, he gets there. What is he? He's 24, I think. Yeah. And he's there till 31, thanks mm. to you. Um, and he plays... Some of, the, some of the football is just incredible during this period. This is going to be quite a big theme in your film, right? The Diego, not just in this aspect, but is the real kind of a symbol of how you have the old football and the new football. That's, that's, that's coming into effect. Diego's story almost, you know, in Argentina, it kind of almost begins in black and white. You know, it's, it's film. Mm. It's shot on film. So if you're lucky, someone shot on colour. But a lot of the Argentinian news at the time is black and white. And you see this kid, this shy kid who starts playing at about 15 
professional football, follow him through World Cups and kind of FIFA and all of this kind of FIFA footage, you know, all those movies that we would have seen, I end up watching a lot on planes, you know, <laughs> whichever movies I can see on the different World Cups. But then he ends up, he becomes like of the guy of the sort of digital age you know, who brings you to Messi and Ronaldo and Neymar and everyone now who you can understand, you know, these super agents. Diego was the first one, I'd say, who had a super agent mm. who... You know, agents that repped him. There's another character, Coppola, Guillermo yeah. Coppola. <laughs> I, mean, you, I don't know, do you know much about him? Can you tell the listeners about Coppola? Well, C- C- Coppola is, uh, well, how much are we allowed, how much are we allowed to say? What you, te- you tell us, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> um, I mean, this is what I'm fascinated by um, and why I can't wait to see this because you speak to a lot of people from that period and not all of them are comfortable about talking about it. You know, you look, for example, they win the league. The team is better than ever. Uh, they look like they're going to completely run away with it. Uh, this is in 87, 88. And they're, I think, four points clear. This is when it was two points for a win. Yeah, with four games to go. And they collapse. And, and they don't win their, any of their last five They games. don't win any of their last, yeah, five games. And so there's a lot of suspicion as to what, what was behind that. Was the team tired, as the club officials insist? What was it to do with organised crime in, in Naples at the time? You know, in terms of, you know, they, they had a, a betting racket and they'd taken a lot of bets on, on Napoli winning winning the league at a ridiculous odds, I think five to one, and they couldn't afford to pay out. Um, Touch what, an era. Yeah. Was it to do with politics at the time? We had Silvio Berlusconi, you know, about to announce himself in Italian politics and after buying AC Milan. You cannot make up the characters in this story. I mean, exactly. The person who pops up, you know, halfway through is Berlusconi, who wants to become prime minister. Mm. So what does he do? Buys a team. Yeah. Milan, suddenly. Yeah, everything you're saying. I mean, the, the, the wider context is this will not be the first story of kind of any form of slight corruption in Italian football. No. Right? So it's happened a lot before and it happens a, a lot later. Some of them have been proven. But this one was always like, you know, teams do collapse. Mm. Was it, you know... It's a very difficult league at the time. Really difficult (laughs) league. The team that beat them are Milan, who are not half, you know, they're kind of decent Mm -hmm. uh, when you look at who who they've got. The question, I guess, for our film will always be, can we ever believe Diego would not want to win? But there's a hell of a lot going on in the background in Naples at the time and in Italian football, yeah. So that story of, you know... Who's actually running things and do things sometimes? Uh, is it in certain people's interest not to give everything? That that's does come up a lot. Mm. And the, you know, when they do win the scudetto, there's stories about you know the coin. The coin. Depending on who you ask, you know, because at that point, because it, you know, in the background, there's quite a lot of crowd violence now. Yeah. In in the terraces and things. I mean, some of the footage we've got from slightly earlier on in the story from Barcelona. My God, the state of football in Spain at the time is mm. unbelievable. Dirty, dirty football. Yeah. Literally, the kind, you know, what we imagine football to be like now in Spain and what it used to be like. So in every level, you know, what, what happens with the second Scudetto is, you know, someone throws a coin and one of the players goes down and... Is perhaps told to stay down. And, you know, because if someone gets injured because there is a lot of crowd violence then it's an automatic win for the team i think it's a two nil winner or something yeah and that just happens to happen at the end of the season but you know there's so much how much of this will actually end up in the film i don't know but it's fascinating the more you research and you find out that um every year there was a story there was Mm. the season and then it was the other kind of rumors and depending on which team you support you'll have your theory of where you believe and where you don't believe something dodgy was going on
I mean, when I was in Italy, um, the book Gomorrah had just come out by Roberto Saviano, which has now you know, become a global phenomenon, has been turned into a, a fantastic film and TV series. And to be honest, if he wanted to make a throwback to the 80s edition of that series, he'd have a lot of material to work with, which would intersect with what you've been doing. Yeah. Um, because you know, it was the dangerous liaisons that, that Maradona had and couldn't really avoid at the time. You know, where you have uh, the police raiding properties and finding photo albums with, which include, you know, Napoli players at weddings, baptisms of, of, of various mob figures. How has that been to sort of wade into that kind of, wade into that as a, as a filmmaker? Because it, it's not for the faint hearted, I imagine. No, but I think that's why Diego is so unique, you know, because he, his personality and his charisma and his character was such that he, wanted to know who runs this town mm. and anyone who ran the town wanted to know him so there was always this interesting relationship and because i i can only assume because of where he came from and he is like a street urchin a street fighter he's like i'll do whatever i have to do to survive so i need to know who runs things and he always has an issue with certain people in authority but there are other people he wants to be mates with so mm. you know whichever president menem in argentina mm. and you know he's meeting the pope over there and he'll be with fidel castro over there and he'll be with heads of the Comor over there and he you know he knew everyone and everyone wanted to have their picture taken with him and i think that's what makes him so complex is that he ran with people at every level <laughs> of society and you know in the daytime in the nighttime so his story that's why it's a movie i guess because <laughs> this all happened you know we're not making it up if you did write it you wouldn't believe it but actually diego was doing it and then he would you know be going out and living his life kind of private life but then he'd turn up on a pitch and be amazing mm. and it's just like how did he manage to do that because he had a whole different mindset his his the power of his brain and intelligence was such, but also the physically what he put his body through. You know, most players just could not imagine to survive. Yeah. I mean, well, that's the thing. I mean, a lot of it's made about his problems with addiction, but Naples is a, as a city is, is one that was addicted to him. Um, and you look, at, um, you look at that city. I don't think there's a city in Italy that loves as strong, as passionately as, as Naples does. It was getting on, unhealthy for him. It's an intense place. Even now mm. when you go there, there's an intensity to that city uh, everywhere. That kind of physic it's, it's kind of like being on a train in India. You know, it's yeah. like there's something about it, the closeness of people and, and friendliness. And it's like enthusiasm. But it's like I can see how it could it kind of for him it became too much, mm. you know, because he kind of wanted it and needed it and loved it and needed to be told how amazing it was and that he was special and that he was a god and... But he also hated it because he then would say, I need my privacy and I need my space. But if he went somewhere where people ignored him, he probably wouldn't be that happy. Mm. You know, and that's the contradiction. That's what makes these characters so fascinating. The kind of the balance of the ego and the kind of idea of leave me alone. I need my space. But if you leave me alone, I'm not going to be happy. So I've got to create drama. Yeah. And he needs drama. He Everywhere he goes, he creates drama. So do you think it, to some extent, suits him then that, you know... There is nowhere more perfect than Naples for Diego Maradona yeah. at that point in time. And that version of Naples. Mm. It was a really edgy place then. I mean, the crime and the kind of the gang violence and the kind of Camorra and organised crime violence, I think it was at a peak, particularly yeah. in the 80s. And then a city that's just coming out of an earthquake, 
Italy's got loads of money. There's a lot of money being put to rebuild the city, but it's generally it's the place where everyone wants to be. All of this mixed together. It's like late 80s, early 90s Italy was, was very different to what it is now, I'd say. Yeah. Well, I think I remember him saying that uh, if I wasn't Maradona, I wouldn't have been able to live what I lived there. Anyone below Maradona would not have been able to get through it. And... Um, yeah, I think some of his teammates have said that. Yeah, a lot of people think, wouldn't it be great to be Maradona? But they also say, I wouldn't wish that on myself because it's to take that all on your shoulders is is unbelievable, really. I think there's an interesting thing that's sort of come out of the research of the film was like these kind of two sides to him, the kind of Diego mm. and the Maradona. You know, at some point he starts calling himself Maradona and talking about himself in the third person and that, that <laughs> happens at a certain age. You know, but was he the people, first to do that as well? Because that's I, now I might a even give that phenomenon. to him. Yeah. I might as, for footballers. I think well, let's just put that on him as well because he was doing it when he was really young. Mm. There, there's a line that he said in our interview, which kind of goes back to one of his first coaches, Cesar Monotti, who was the manager in '78, okay, for the World Cup, and then managed Barcelona and various teams around the world. But I love this line because Diego said that um, Monotti taught him when he was really young that football is essentially it's a game of deceit. It's about lying. And this all comes um, back again and again because it's like if you can win, that's great. If you can win by a bit of deceit and a bit of cheating or whatever it might be, it hurts that much more. Yeah. Most famously, the hand of God, okay, Which, against England. with video assistant referees coming in, would never have happened. <laughs> now, Diego did that many times, though, yeah. yeah. Well, depending on whether or not, you know, they get the right angle and how long it takes. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Football games are going to end up being three hours long. But can you imagine a world where long. that is ruled out and that such a massive part of his legend is not there. Totally. It's Exactly. Well, the, 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 the interesting thing is when you talk to people in Argentina, including uh, his own kind of biographer, Daniel Arcucci, mm. wrote many books with Diego, but he would say in Argentina, and many people have said, that's what they remember him for. It's not the second goal. Yeah. It's not the, you know, the amazing dribble. It's the reason was he, we're still talking about it, and it still hurts. It's because he did it with a bit of deceit. He yeah. cheated, and he got away with it, and that hurts much more. <laughs> And so even, you know, now the re- it's going to be interesting with VAR. You know, I meet a Tottenham fan, I'm a Liverpool fan. So, and I'm still going on about, you know, Tottenham plays diving, perhaps, allegedly, probably. Um, and, and then, you know, that's what you remember. You remember when someone kind of, you feel, cheated you or someone, we do, one of our plays does it to someone else. That hurts much more than a great goal. Mm. Great goal, great, you know, well done. So I think Diego lived his life like that. It was always about what can you get away with. What trickery and outsmarting people. You, know, you think I'm going to do this, but actually I come the other way. You think I'm going to shoot low and I lob you. I mean, mm. the lobs, just having the joy of watching Diego's football and watching the number of amazing goals that he was able to score, the passes that he laid off while taking the worst tackles you can imagine. Yeah. That's really important. Football then, the state of the pitches, the mud bath that they played in, the fact that you could tackle from everywhere, anyway, you can kick people in the chest, kick them in the head, break their ankles, and you don't even get a yellow half the time. <laughs> you know, it was very different. The reason why it was a big deal to score 20 goals in Italy then mm. was because anyone could break your legs, you know. Yeah. Whereas now, of course, you're going to score 50 goals if you can't touch someone, you know. And if they touch you, you roll over and you get a penalty and, you know, you get... That's why Messi and Neymar and I would say Ronaldo can score, get the stats that they're getting now. Because football's just not the same as it used to be then. So Diego's time in Naples is a story of adulation, addiction and also indulgence. It does go all south at the end, but... We've got to talk about the achievements, Asif. You know, he had personal issues. That's kind of crazy because this stuff was probably going on in the background and then somehow he would motivate himself to get up and play. 
and then play amazingly mm-hmm. and win against all these other teams and all these other players and go off and win a World Cup. But then I guess what comes with that is kind of the lack of anyone being able to say no to you. Mm. No boundaries, no one's stopping you. So if you don't want to train, who's going to say no to you? You know, because everyone's put you up on this pedestal. So I think that is, I got a feeling part of the narrative, is this person who always had a fight with anyone in power, always had a fight with anyone who said no to him, who then keeps achieving and achieving and achieving. And so now he's unstoppable. Mm. So then there is somewhere in there, I think there's a turning point when... Maybe if you've achieved all of your dreams and your aims by winning the World Cup at 25, you're still a kid when you're yeah. 25. And then you've, made, you've come from where you've come from, which is literally living in a kind of a, a shanty town, in a, a corrugated iron shack with no running water, no electricity, kind of eight siblings, your parents in there. To go from that, no education, to suddenly have the World Cup, to be, have the intense love of Naples, to win the league title against Juventus and Milan and, you know, Inter and Roma, to win everything. I mean, people do think that Maradona showed up and they won the league, just like that, at the click of a finger. And instead it wasn't for three years. It was a really hard work. He worked uh, really hard to make that team. And, and also he had the support of players being mm. brought in. But they were not the huge, huge names when they came in. You may know them, but most people probably wouldn't have known them in the same way until after he left. Exactly. Then Kareka and Alamau and people like that started coming in. But, you know, he did work really hard and bring that team up. Well, I mean, it, it, again, nowadays, players will only go somewhere where they're guaranteed to win a title yeah. in the Champions League because they want to win a Ballon d'Or. Mm. Whereas he went to a team that had hardly anyone you'd ever heard of and won the title. Mm. I think he, even with a player of his talent, he acknowledged that he could not do it on his own. And, that, uh, and, and yet Napoli say that if we didn't have Maradona, we couldn't have won it because it was the change in mentality that he brought, but also the ambition to say, this manager's crap. We need a new manager. These players are crap. If the, if the fans are whistling them, then that should be the signal for you to say goodbye and bring in someone else. You know, these are the players that I want. He gave me a really hard time when I was playing against him. Yeah, I mean, Diego will always say he'd literally be on the pitch playing against someone and say, do you want to come and play for us? And they go, yeah. <laughs> and then he go, by him. And, and literally, he did all the transfers as well, his, his, his version of events, because he literally would say, pick that guy, pick that guy. I want him and I want him. And mm. they got him and, and they won. I do think it's important to kind of make sure we clear, clear up and, and, and state how he did take this team. And you're saying, you know, whether it's West Brom, whoever you want to pick, it is a team that had never achieved really anything and never was expected to. It was laughed at, really, yeah. looked down upon. Well, I mean, they when they uh, founded the club, their sort of um, uh, mascot was a sort of a stallion. And it became a joke um, to the point that they, you know, they brought a donkey to the stadium. And it just so happened on that day, Juventus were in town and they beat Juventus. And it came. It became that. Then became their symbols. This kind of. Who cares if we're donkeys? You know, we can every now and again we can fly. And that's... I mean, simple things like that. They started to beat Juventus. Mm. You know, because of him. You know, they he he would. There's an amazing free kick that he scores, which is the first time they beat him in years. You yeah. know, and they beat them in Turin, and they started going to the north. And so there's some really good stories that he tells, but also players, other players say about this idea of we. It wasn't just a one-off. We could beat them regularly. Mm. We're better than them, and it was a real mentality change. And then that really lifted the whole city. And I think that's that passion all came together to make them kind of a Scudetto winning team. And at the time, the UEFA Cup was a big deal. They yeah. never won the Champions League. But it was a different thing than the European Cup and the Champions League. Well, that was that was the big shame, wasn't it? Because um, there were no seeding. 
Uh, it wasn't like we have now. We have a group stage. First game they have, they play against Real Madrid and a very good Real Madrid side as well at Quinta de Butre. And, uh, and they get knocked out. And um, yeah, it didn't happen again. The next time when they won, what, in 1990 is when he's going through all of these problems. I think they have to go and play Spartak Moscow and he didn't turn up at the airport and they sent people to go and to go and pick him up. He come. A group of players knocked on his door to yeah. ask him, to, do you want to come and play? Yeah. And then, at that point, he was in a really bad way. Yeah. And I think didn't the directors end up persuading him and he ended up, they had to shell out for a private jet for him to go over. Indeed. <laughs> yes. He turns up. He had a thing for fur coats, did Diego? So he mm. turned up in the most amazing fur coat. Um, but then arrived and decided um, he wanted to go to Red Square. Mm. So <laughs> they went off on a... To go and see Red Square, which obviously was shut. And this is kind of Diego stories, you know. It's shut, there's no it can go in. This is full, you know, this is what is this now? Nineteen ninety one? Nineteen ninety, late late nineteen ninety. And you know, it's closed. It's like you're not coming in here. And it's like, but that's Diego Maradona. Come on in. <laughs> so they open it up in the middle of the night for Diego and his entourage to go and have a look around because mm. he's Diego. Everywhere he goes, the door will open, you know. So, so they got knocked out. So I know you won't want to disclose some of the best bits, but who was the most colourful person you interviewed about, about Diego? Of the people I've spoken to, I have to come back to Diego is the most interesting yeah. and fascinating person that I've spoken to. Um, so, so to talk to Diego is not that simple because he lives in Dubai. Mm. He lives on the palm tree and he lives out there. So you have to organise it quite in advance to know when he's going to be around. You go there, you meet him. And um, I've got to tell you one story. So at one point we were trying to, normally when I do an interview, I do it a bit like now. We go to a sound recording studio. So if I talk to someone, we arrange to go somewhere. So it's, the audio is all important. Yeah. I don't film. I don't take a camera. Since Senna onwards, really with Amy as well, I, I think hearing the voice and, and for them to just kind of talk and not worry about how they look or the hair or makeup or the lighting is you get a more honest reaction and opinion. So we're talking to Diego and we end up recording it on a little digital recorder. And at this point, I'm recording it because we didn't have a sound recorder or anything. It was one of the first times I met him. So I had to put a microphone somewhere on the table and I was chatting to him. And then if, as I was sitting on the sofa next to him, whenever he was answering, he'd turn away from the mic and talk to me. And he was slightly off mic. So I was worried about that. So I ended up sitting on the floor next to the microphone. And um, I then realized, because Diego's, you know, he still plays fiber sign and stuff and he's got his trainers on pumas and his shorts <laughs> and his amazing thighs yeah. and i'm sitting essentially at the feet of god of diego <laughs> and i'm looking at him and he's answering a question and then my kind of my eyes sort of fall on his left foot and i've never had the urge with anyone i've been lucky enough to meet quite a few famous people i really wanted to touch his foot <laughs> i just wanted to touch that ankle and that foot and I and I, I basically I stopped listening to anything that he was saying, and I was just looking. I would he mind if I just reached out and touched him? And I and I literally at one point asked a question just so that I could say. So which was the foot that they broke this? And, and then grabbed his ankle, and he like pushed me away because are we doing? It doesn't want to be touched. But I had this incredible urge just to touch the left foot of Diego Maradona, and and for a, sh for a split second I did. He's still there's. I don't have this feeling with people, but there was something about being in the presence of Diego mm. and just hearing him. Talk and hear him talk about taking a penalty that knocks out Italy in Naples, and the whole of Italy is kind of booing him. You know, the story before we get to the ending of Naples, there is the you know the World Cup comes to Italy, mm -hmm. Italia ninety, and Argentina 
play against Italy in Naples for the semi-final of the World Cup. And he plays to the gallery in a, in, a, in a big deal by saying, this is the one day of the year Italy thinks you ne- Neapolitans are Italian. The rest of the year, they forget about you. I mean, you've lived there. Is mm. this true? Does the North look down on Naples? Well, I lived in Rome, which isn't... It wouldn't class itself as the South, but um, it has a very different uh, outlook from, say, the Milan and Turin. You know, they would always say that uh, the South holds us back. The South would always say, you know, we are under your heel. You've kept us like this. Um, and, you know, I Definitely think... Definitely the fans are pretty nasty to the South and they have the same stories, don't they? Well, same I mean... Chance. Exactly, you know, Vesuvius, Vesuvius washed them. Um, yeah, that's what Neapolitans still have to put up with today. And, you know, it's considered racist chanting. Um, you know, just as the abuse that, say, Mario Balotelli's had, we've seen, you know, stadium bans be given for that as well. Yeah, you know, we shouldn't forget Maradona's first game was away in Verona, where he was, you know, he was, the banner was welcome to Italy, not just because that was his first game, but because this idea that Naples is not in Italy. And yeah, he stood up for them. And the players for Italy, I think, throughout that tournament had played at the Olimpico in Rome. And they said the atmosphere, the, the atmosphere was different in Naples because they couldn't root against Maradona. They couldn't go against um, the guy who delivered everything uh, that they'd ever dreamed of. Italy went out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a pretty amazing climax. Again, you couldn't make it up to, mm. to, to lose on penalties in a semi-final at home in Naples. Yeah, but if, whose you know, home was it? That's yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Whose home was it? And then Diego being Diego, particularly at that moment, he, he loved to kind of mix it up, mm. you know. But he's also, and this came up with journalists everywhere that I spoke to, in Argentina and in Italy and everywhere, he would just have a line. He wouldn't necessarily prepare it, but he'd have something that would just come out in an interview and you'd always get your headline. Mm. You know, and in this case, it was like, how do I get this crowd to kind of be conflicted? Yeah. Um, and he's like, I'm not doing it. You're doing it because you do it the rest of the year. And he's kind of right. You know, you hear all the fans booing them. And I've, you've, I've heard the chance and I've heard him being booed every time he played in that World Cup because um, they lost against Cameroon in the first match, yeah. the opening of the 1990 World Cup. Everyone's booing him. And it's in Milan, mm. um, the opening game. And, you know, Diego then turns that around and said, well, you know, maybe I did something good. Maybe we stopped Italy being racist because they were cheering for the African team. Yeah. Well, he did do something good because it was, you know, watching Thomas and Kono that day for Cameroon that Gigi Buffon decided to become a goalkeeper. Um, so... Well done for that, Diego. It refers back to one of your previous podcasts. It does indeed. Yeah. Neatly done. <laughs> the Maradona of goalkeepers, as he's yeah. sometimes been referred to. So, Asif, when can we see this film? Is it is it near? I'm itching now. Is it near completion? I'll, I'll no pressure. To, yeah, no pressure. There's a hell of a lot of pressure <laughs> in this one. I mean, it's it's coming along. We're still working on it. Like I said, I don't normally talk to people, but because I'm such a big fan of the podcast and you know, and and it football Italia and everything, and it's all part of that period. So I, I, it was really nice to be asked to talk to you. But we're we're still making it, and we're hoping to get it done in the next few months. And you know, in a perfect world, it will kind of come out at uh, one of the big festivals, film festivals. Mm. But because the World Cup's coming up in the summer, I, I want to see the real thing, you know. So when there's a World Cup, I don't think I would personally go to the cinema to see a film. So it probably will be coming out later in the year. That's yeah. the plan. And then hopefully once it's out and you've seen it, maybe we have another chat. Fantastic, yeah. Thank you very much, Asif. Thanks for coming in. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to Golazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production, and for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com.
That was pretty good, wasn't it? Not nearly in a football league, though. Why don't you give the Totally Football League show a try? You'll find us on Audio Boom, iTunes, all the other places you get your podcasts.